HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you live, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are joined on the line by a special guest, Shirley Richardson of Vermont Chevron. Shirley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. Good to hear your voice. You too. So we are going to be talking uh, about goats today and, and talking a little bit about uh diversification and, and building resources for farmers, um, specifically goat farmers, goat dairies. And I, I know that you have brought along another partner of yours in, in the project that we'll be discussing, um, Matt, who's a chef over at Three Squares Cafe, also in Vermont. Matt, nice to have you join us as well. Great to be here. Thank you. So I thought we would we would start off by talking a little bit about Vermont Chevron, um, what what the project is, and, and surely a little bit kind of how you came to the idea. Okay, great. I'd love to. Uh, for the past ten years, um, I've been raising Spanish meat goats on in Danville, Vermont, up in the Northeast Kingdom. And as I looked at the goat landscape it seemed that American consumers are trending toward healthier lifestyles, including the meats they eat. So um, this trend for healthier meat caught my attention as an opportunity for goat meat. Um, And I realized that the dairy goat industry was providing the goat and therefore Vermont Chavon a goat meat opportunity. That makes a lot of sense, and, and it's obviously, I mean, as you know, and we've talked before, that I have a special place in my heart uh, for goats. We run the No Goat Left Behind project through Heritage Foods USA every year, so it's really exciting for, it, for me to kind of connect with you and learn a little bit more about what you guys are trying to do. Now, obviously, the inspiration for the project came from your own personal experience and, and noticing 
Um, that there seemed to be an interest in, uh, you know, alternative uh, lean protein choices. So where do you go from there? How did that idea kind of start to take shape? And, and what did you identify early on as kind of the some of the structures you would need to build um, on your way towards kind of creating a little bit of a supply chain? That's a, that's a very good question because it has been since 19, I mean, 2011, uh, sometimes it's challenging for me to get to the 21st century. <laughs> um, since 2011, when we started this project, um, we developed um, on a small scale an economically viable model for raising excess dairy goats for meat. Uh, we've had success at this small level and now working to, uh, to turn the dairy goat surplus into a value-added Goat meat, Vermont goat meat industry, and and you're you're so right that there are many steps that we have taken and many more for us to take to get to the, you know, to get from the farm gate to the table. Um, but part of our 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 mission is to grow the Vermont value added goat meat industry uh, and connect the farms to the fork. Within, with this increasingly popular, healthy, and flavorful meat. So, oh, of course, you know, we, we've talked on the show before about, you know, the rise that you see in fine dining restaurants. Uh, I know particular here in New York, but I think across the country of uh, farmstead goat cheeses, you know, you're seeing a real growth in that area. What you're not seeing as a corollary of that is an increased presence of goat meat on these tables. And of course, to make cheese, you need milk. And to get milk, you need to have babies. And goats uh, have twins usually or triplets. So they make a lot of babies and half of them are males. And, uh, you know, I definitely learned the hard way that you can't milk a male. Um <laughs> And, and you know, that was really also kind of the genesis for the, the Heritage Foods USA project is kind of, well, what was happening to these males. And, of course, you were seeing that firsthand. So can you maybe paint a picture for us from, like, your experience, you know, when you started reaching out to these farmers or even on your own farm, what was happening to the male animals? Can can kind of talk a little bit about um, the status quo um, when you first got going with the project? Well, uh that's a, that's a challenging question to answer because I'm very respectful of the limitations that the dairy goat farmers, producers uh, experience with all, that abundance of kids, 50%, as you mentioned, are, are bucks, and another 20% are does that are not needed either because they only replace their herds about every three years. So there are generally accepted about 80% of the goats born on a dairy farm every year are considered a waste product. And in my mind, uh, given the leading scientists, uh, you know, focusing on food production and it need, needing to be increased by 70 to 100% um, over the next few years, um, that, that seemed like a a huge waste and a great opportunity. And you're right, the general um, North American population has not embraced the um, wonderful health benefits and the flavor of this, of this lovely meat uh, yet. I think it's increasing, the demand is increasing. As a matter of fact, the, the research has shown us that there are, um, since 1999, 
the amount of imported meat into this country from Austra goat meat from Australia and New Zealand is just exploding. Uh, there's 25 million pounds coming in every year with a value of 41.8 million dollars. It's um, but like like we know, the North American population hasn't embraced it yet. Yeah. Well, I think that's like one of the things that I find so fascinating when we're talking about the dairy industry and goats in particular is even though in the U.S. we are seeing a rise in goat consumption, that increase in demand is not being met by producers who are who have the goat here. It's being met you know, by these producers from abroad, primarily, as you said, Australia and New Zealand. And, and so, you know, obviously that begs the question of why, and that's where we get into some of the work that your team is trying to do, looking at building these uh, distribution and marketing lines. And so when you were kind of first getting going, was it uh, a choice between doing direct-to-consumer, doing wholesale working with chefs? I mean, who did you decide for Vermont Chevron that you wanted to be kind of selling the goat to, at least initially? Well, we definitely decided that selling the goat initially has been with the Vermont chefs. There are, um, in Vermont, as I know, elsewhere, having just recently joined the Chefs Collaborative, there are a definitely a proactive, engaging group of, of, of people. They want good food. They want to have uh, new kinds of uh, food to offer, and goat fits the bill. So uh, as Matt can talk to, um, they have been the audience that we have started with first and to see how it went in, in their arena. Yeah, and I think that made sense. I mean, that was a similar pursuit for us uh, through Heritage. Uh, Heritage Foods was the chefs as kind of tastemakers, the chefs as, you know, having the kind of culinary skills and the, you know, kind of podium to really introduce this meat and present it in a way that was elegant and accessible to populations that maybe were less familiar. So, Matt, I want to bring you in here Um can you talk a little bit about how you got interested in, in cooking goat and, and how it's been received by your staff and your guests? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess my first introduction to goat was probably about 10 years ago. Um, at the time, I was a chef in Boston. And um, on my days off, I always enjoyed going to uh, some of the more ethnic neighborhoods, the immigrant neighborhoods. And I discovered it um, at a Dominican restaurant. And just kind of was intrigued by it. It was, you know, it was prepared very well, but very simply. And, you know, I found myself going back a few times over the course of uh, my living down there. And when I moved back to Vermont, it just kind of, you know, wasn't available and sort of fell out of the back of my mind. And then I uh, ran into Shirley at the Stowe Food and Wine Festival about three years ago. And um, she was working with another chef sharing a table there, and my eyes popped. And instantly introduced myself, and uh, within, you know, a week or two, I was offering it as, uh, as a special at my restaurant. And as far as how it was received with the public, I'm, I'm in a more of a rural area. Uh, we're about 40 minutes south of Burlington, and it was a slow introduction, but now after, you know, offering it on my specials menus for the last three years or so, um, it's very well received. It's very popular with my locals. And if I don't run it for, you know, a period of time, they actually start asking me and I'll have more back to offer. Oh, that's great. So, um, 
Shirley, I know one of the things I find very interesting about your project is that you um, you kind of set about looking at creating some uh, protocols or standards for the farmers that you were working with, essentially saying, you know, this is the the, the carcass size and the, the types of programs that we expect producers who will work with Vermont Chevron to follow. So how did you come to some of those decisions and what, what are those? You know, what does it take to be a farmer working with Vermont Chevron? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, it came from my own personal experiences with raising the goats since 2004, just knowing that um, it, there, it's a process, it's a learning process to, to raise a, you know, a top-quality uh, meat goat, uh, especially when you're taking a dairy goat and um, bringing it in up to a viable um, value-added weight so that the end consumer, whether it be the chef, the butcher, uh, the family, has, a, has an animal that has a product that is, um, you know, is, gives you enough meat to make a difference on your, in your, on your menu. Um, so... I also uh, in, took the Langston University is a major research, goat research center in the world, and they have a web-based training program for meat producers, and I took that, pro- I took that course and graduated successfully hmm. uh, and uh, have a certificate. But more importantly, um, we knew that if our finishing farmers, which is how we identify the producing farm, is where we will uh, purchase the goat at five days of age and put it on a finishing farm for the continued growth and development uh, to the value-added weight, um, those finishing farmers uh, needed support and help and training uh, and so... I went back to Langston and asked them to, uh, if I could use the standards that they had developed as part of our uh, standards and requirements for growing the goats to that market weight. They gave me full access to those, uh, to those standards, and so that's what we are using. And I'm developing protocols, writing protocols that will identify specific feed uh, systems and we are also partnering with um, Vermont Creamery, where we'll produce, where we'll purchase the animals, the kids. And we're also partnering with Vermont Technical College and their newly designed Ag Institute to do the market, to do the research uh, for us on the feed protocols and uh, other growing uh, protocols that that we're designing. So it's a um, we have good partnerships. We have um, good support in in place and in and continuing to evolve for the finishing farmers, so that they're not left hanging out there wondering what do I do now uh, in terms of raising this this animal to the acceptable market weight. Great, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a few more questions on that, but we're going to take just a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll kind of continue this discussion with Shirley and Matt talking about Vermont Chevron. So hang tight. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Lung by Iggy Dean on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture-raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. We're back. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we are talking goats today with Shirley Richardson of Vermont Chevron and one of her chef partners, Matt, from Three Squares Cafe out in Vermont as well. So, Shirley, one of the things I want to clarify for our listeners is kind of tucking into the need for protocols. I think it's it's good to just take a moment to step back here and remind folks that we're talking primarily about working with dairy farmers whose primary focus is on producing milk for cheese or other kind of preparations. So the kind of raising of meat animals is essentially a whole separate aspect of their business and something I think, you know, prior to recently wasn't a huge focus because there wasn't really an end market, which is what your program is looking to change. So the establishment of these protocols is really to provide a resource and some guidelines for the growers that you're working with and to kind of share information. I mean, is that is that more or less right? Yes, and I think for the, the end result is that we're wanting to produce a product for the consumer that is consistent, in terms of quality and availability, um, and in order to do that, the farmers, we all kind of need to be on the same page, um, following uh, protocols and following standards that will give us that, um, that, that kind of product. Exactly, because, you know, obviously you're looking to build a sustainable business. This isn't a charity project for the animals. It's not a charity project for the farmers. It's looking to create a, a sustainable kind of marketplace for these products. And so the the um, the size thing I want to talk a little bit about with you, Matt, you know, as a as a restaurant, you know, I'm assuming that you guys are bringing in whole animals. Can you talk a little bit about what, um, about kind of carcass composition and for folks who may not be familiar with what that might mean, how you as a chef need to be thinking about those, you know, meat to bone ratios and what that means for your business and why it's important to have a consistently sized product. Yeah, sure. Um, the consi- I mean, the consistency is key. I mean, you want to know what you're getting, you know, without it being a crapshoot every time. Um, you know, you to have it in the similar size range is useful because then you know how to use it. Um, you know, you're not getting a wasteful situation from something that may be smaller, you know, like uh, loin sizes and such things. So 
for me also, being able to get the whole animal in is, is also both cost beneficial, but it's also just enjoyable for me to be able to use the entire animal from, you know, front to back. Um, as far as its composition is concerned, um, I would say it's similar to lamb, I guess, in, in, in size and in muscle structure. Um, but one of the things I really enjoy about the, the Siobhan itself is its versatility. Um, we, I own a cafe that really has no, I guess, specific style to it. So we are able to play with uh, Southeast Asian flavors, Latin flavors, um, you know, rustic New England style cooking. And I've managed to incorporate this particular product into all of those different genres of food. And that's also one of the reasons why I find it very enjoyable. You know, it's the nature of it being the most, one of the most widely consumed proteins on earth is it is introduced to such a wide variety of, you know, cooking styles. And for us to be able to play with that's been a great deal of fun. Yeah. So, Shirley, maybe you can um, kind of give us a little bit of the specifics with regards to the health benefits that you were mentioning at the top of the show. How does goat compare to other meats? Do we think of it as a red meat, like like beef or pork? Or um, give us a sense of where it, it fits in the kind of more traditional landscape of proteins. Yes. Siobhan is, is definitely considered a red meat. Uh, it is um, the lowest in fat and um, saturated fat and cholesterol, and total fat, saturated and, and, as I say, the cholesterol, than any of the commonly eaten meats, including skinned chicken and salmon. So goat meat has uh, fewer calories, and it's a nutrient-rich source of protein, the same amount of protein as you find in beef, which is 23 grams. And um, it's also very high in iron, the highest in iron of any of the commonly eaten meats. So it is, um, it's very healthy. The goat grows its fat on the outside instead of marbled inside like beef and pork, uh, lamb. Um, those all have fat marbled within the meat, whereas the goat is um, very lean. So therefore, needs to be cooked a little differently. And as Matt said, um, because of the, you know, it is the most commonly consumed meat in the world. Uh, goat is the oldest livestock uh, in the world, um, and, and therefore um, many people around the world have uh, lots of a variety of ways of preparing it. Uh, and, and currently, braising has become a very popular way of, of um, cooking this goat, this animal. Well, the the kind of um, variety of preparations brings me to my next question, which is when I talk to people about eating goat, most folks who who don't who who have had it have had it once or twice. They've had it, at, you know, in a very kind of strongly spiced ethnic preparation, and they associate goat with kind of strong, pungent, gamey flavors. And I'm wondering if I can hear from you a little bit, Matt, um, if you found that to be the case and. And if not, you know, why this, the goat that you're working with now maybe is different from goat that people have, have had um, when they're like you were kind of out exploring different ethnic enclaves where they live. Well, I, I, I think the product that I use that I get from Shirley is less gamey. I mean, it doesn't, I'm not saying that it's not. Um, I think that has to do with the age of the animal. 
Uh, the older it gets, as true with the case with lamb, progressing to the mutton stage, um, it becomes gamier with age. Um, so what I've found with, with my preparations um, is that it actually, the, the flavor imparts well into it. Um, so I can introduce flavors to it because it's lean. Um, it takes on marinades, dry rubs, things of that nature. Um, I mean, last Christmas, um, I actually saved one of the legs and did it as a pseudo leg of lamb for my family. And we had a couple of people who were, you know, raising an eyebrow to the concept of having go a goat at Christmas dinner. And by the end of the meal, they were total converts. So I guess they, I don't know if that directly answers your question. What? But Go ahead. I was to say, like, I mean, ultimately, uh, give goat a chance. I guess is really the the message there that, like any like any meat, um, that you're going to associate flavors with. Um, you know, goat is interesting because there is usually, I think, in the U.S. market, a, a particular kind of age and type that people are used to seeing, and and the goats that you're working with through Chevron, um, you know, it's an age, it's an age, it's an age factor um, that is often, I think, surprising to people. Um, well, what I want to shift gears a little bit here and, and bring it back to the kind of farming end of things, Shirley. Now, in our experience with uh, the No Goat Left Behind project, we've really focused on on providing goat to consumers in the month of October to kind of be in line with what we've heard from farmers as kind of their natural breeding cycles. Do you guys plan to have goat available year-round? And, and if so, kind of how does that work with the dairy farms that you are, you're targeting to work with? Yes, that's an excellent question. We definitely will have, uh, have goat year-round. We have it year-round right now, uh, and we'll continue that. And the reason that we're able to do that is um, that the dairy farms, the large dairy producers, Vermont Creamery, our, our partner, will be raising their animals, will be breeding their animals year-round. So we will have access to um, bucklings and dolings on a year-round basis. Um, and that's really, that's really a key. The other part of it is that the value-added growth is we will ra raise these animals to um, basically uh, approximately 110 pounds over a period of 16 to 18 months. Um, so we avoid the, as Matt was describing very well, we avoid the um, mutton end of thing, the older goat that some think as gamey and, uh, and more, um, uh, you know, the flavor is different. The flavor on our goats is we're really aiming for a flavor that's, that's mild, delicate, uh, and, uh, and very flavorful. Um, so we're able to do that because we're raising those animals to, instead of a commodity weight of 60 to 80 pounds, um, where you come away with much less uh, meat, we're raising it to the value added of approximately 110 pounds. It takes a little longer, have to winter them over, which causes us on the farm, on the farm end of things, the production end, to be very cognizant of helping that, that uh, finishing farmer really um, get, you know, really fine-tune the feed protocols so that they are able to do this in a cost-effective um, sustainable way. Uh, we, we, you know, they're 
they're going to be paid by Vermont Siobhan at a very fair price, um, but at the same time, we're very aware of how to help that finishing farmer um, do that cost-effectively, raise that animal cost-effectively to so, that value-added weight. So for farmers who want to work with you, do they have a couple of options? I mean, it sounds like one that, that they could reach out to you and, and try and use you as a conduit to um, sell their animals to a feeding farm, or they could raise the animals on their existing operation and, and sell you the finished animals. Is that correct? Like you have, you, you guys are looking to kind of pair people with, with people or serve as like a direct outlet. Um, you know, if I'm a new farmer looking to engage with you, like what are my options? Okay. The, your options are that we purchase the animals from the producing farm, from the dairy goat farm. And um, most of our, to this, to this point in time, now this may change, and that would be wonderful if it did, but most of our dairy uh, goat producers really want to stay focused on their business, which is producing milk for, and producing cheese products. Um, so we will be purchasing, Vermont Siobhan will be purchasing those animals at five days of age and, and contracting with the finishing farmers uh, to raise the animal according to our standards to the value-added weight of approximately 110 pounds. We transport that animal to that farmer. We pick up that animal once it's reached that weight. We will take it to harvest and uh, deal with the distribution and the marketing. So we are the we're the we're the entity that's connecting the chain, uh, you know, connecting the producer to the finishing farmer to the processor to the distributor and to the end user. Uh, we're we're linking that chain. And currently, um, in my in my research and in our company's research, we have found that the bulk of the uh, goat meat availability in this country is done on a very individual basis. There is really, I haven't found another place where the chain is linked together, so from farm to fork, if you will. Um, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the business model for Vermont Siobhan in terms of production. And we are just about out of time, but before we go, I want to touch on one more issue. Because you're dealing with, um, you know, moving the animals an additional time and multiple producers, what steps have you taken to ensure kind of humane treatment of the animals? What are the kind of protocols with regards to that aspect for the producers that you're working with? That's a good question. And in our protocols, the uh, standards that we have, which include... Herd, uh, herd health, um, management, biosecurity, uh, record keeping, and nutrition and foodstuffs with protocols. Those are the five standards that we have. Those uh, farm, we will be in very close contact. We will have a farm manager, if you will, at Vermont Siobhan who stays in very close contact with those farmers to uh, assist them with any problems, any questions, We'll do farm visits, and there are, um, uh, much like the uh, pork industry, has some excellent uh, protocols for helping the farmers finish their animals and in, um, in ways that are um, 
health-related and biosecurity-related and just good best practices. Uh, Excellent. So, yeah. Cool. We'll well, giving that th those farmers the support and training that they need. Shirley, Matt, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us today and talking a little bit more about your operation. And definitely look forward to um, staying in touch and hopefully eating more goat year-round. That's great. We look forward to uh, to making that available to you, Aaron. So right, thanks. thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So. Thank you. If you find yourself up uh, in the Burlington area, definitely swing by. Say hey to Matt over at the Three Squares Cafe. And to follow up and learn more about the Vermont Chavon program, you can visit them at vermontchavon.com. That's V-E-R-M-O-N-T-C-H-E-V-O-N.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. This episode, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, are available for free. Uh, you can find us on the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org, or listen through iTunes or Stitcher. We are a member-supported organization, so if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member by clicking the Donate page. And uh, for the $120 level, we'd love to send you a tote. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.